0: Welcome to the Maintenance Mavericks podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn all things about maintenance and reliability. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each episode, I meet with an expert from within the maintenance community to take a deep dive in a topic sourced from the maintenance community Slack group. In honor of today's Veterans Day this week, I wanted to switch things up. I'm going to pass the torch to our guest host, Gary Wood, who's a US Army Ranger and also Upkeep Senior Implementation Manager here at Upkeep. On the podcast today, Gary's going to be hosting a panel on how to transition into a successful career from military to maintenance. So with all that being said, take it away
1: from here, Gary. Welcome, everyone. Glad to be here today. And uh, even more stoked to have some of these great veterans on here with me today. Okay, so... I'd like to go around the room, let these guys introduce themselves. We'll start with Drew Waltz, if you would please, sir.
2: Hi, everybody. uh, Drew Waltz. I'm U.S. Army veteran, Desert Storm, ultrasound, IR guy. The last 20 plus years, so that's where I'm at now. Is sunny Florida, so I feel bad for everybody up north. I hear it's getting a little cold up there,
1: so look forward to today's presentation. All right, all right. Next is Lucas Marino.
3: Hey, everybody. Luke here. Uh, 21 years in the Coast Guard. I spent about eight and a half of them at sea, run around the world having too much fun. And uh, currently the CEO and uh, founder of East Partnership. And I also work for Amentum, which is a large company that provides direct support to the U.S. Navy. So I work with the Columbia Submarine Program in that capacity.
1: Wow. OK, Brian. I'm going to try your last name, Brian. Brian Bieschke? Bieski. Bieski, yeah, it's,
4: close. it's all good, man. <laughs> I'm Brian Bieski. Uh, I'm a U.S. Navy veteran. I was forward deployed all four years in my service. I did uh, four consecutive nine-month deployments uh, in the South China Sea on the USS George Washington aircraft carrier. I was a GSE troubleshooter, so I ran the flight deck during flight operations, uh, troubleshooting, maintaining, and repairing uh, support equipment for the air wing. And I, like Luke, I've been all over the world. Fantastic. Love it. Had many maintenance positions. Just left my role as director uh, and maintenance and reliability for host terminals. And I'm exploring my life with family and kind of consulting on the side. And uh, there might be a job coming up for me very soon, but uh, I won't speak to that quite yet. So, but yeah, thanks.
1: All right. Nice to meet you guys. And finally, I'm Gary Wood, the host, currently a Senior Implementation Manager at UPKEY, 26 plus years in manufacturing. After my military days, I was in the U.S. Army Airborne, stationed out of Bragg from uh, 85 to 89. I just basically trained, not technical or anything in the military, I was, you know, what what they would call a ground pounder. Trained in various combat situations, including attending Ranger School in Fort Benning, Georgia. So glad to have everybody on today. Got a few questions for everybody, you know, on Transitioning from the military to the real world and, you know, what that's about. So in the order of introductions, I guess, I'll just ask the questions in order of introductions. What did you do to prepare for transition out of the military, starting with Dream?
2: Well, so for me, it was a little bit different. I didn't have a, a mechanical inclined or maintenance inclined position with the Army. I was a forward observer. So my PM experience, maintenance experience, didn't really transition very well. So it was more of a, I kind of fell into it when I got hired on by UE Systems years ago when I was starting out. So that's where my introduction to this whole maintenance. So I didn't really have a transition path from field artillery into the
1: maintenance world directly. Cool. Lucas, how about you? How did you transition?
3: Uh, Yeah, so I spent the first half of my career, a little less than the first half of my career as a machinery technician, which basically working on propulsion systems, diesel engines, controllable pitch propellers, power generators, fuel systems, that kind of stuff. A little bit of time in A-Gang, which was auxiliary systems like small boats and some of the other systems like sewage, water, all that stuff. And so when I transitioned into the officer corps, I stayed on the naval engineering side. Really what it did is it gave me uh, the ability to transition in a different way than I think I would have if I had stayed on one side or the other, because I had a little bit more preparation for what it was going to be like in industry. Having served as a board engineer and As a chief engineer, I worked so much with shipyards and contractors and all that. So I was pretty comfortable transitioning because of my interactions with outsiders, if you will, when I was in service. Just understanding what the strength of of having that mindset and experience behind us as veterans in that certain space was going to give me. That that gave me a Mm -hmm. lot of confidence. The thing I was not confident about was, what's it going to be like for me? What's my
1: world going to be like? That was very scary. Very scary.
3: Ron, how about you, man? I went into
4: the military because I lost my job. I come from a family of military. Uh, My father was a army officer for 28 years. My aunts, uncles, everybody was in the Navy or the army, but I didn't take that path right away. I went to college first. I was terrible at college. I dropped out. I went to automotive school and I was working in a shop for a little while. And in 2007, 2008, the recession happened. My small shop went under and I was without a job and I joined the military. So I. The role that I joined the military as, I was already mechanically inclined going into it. It was easy for me to transition the the concepts and fundamentals of maintenance. Everything's the same, right? It's all the same components. They're just ap- applied differently. Cool. things. So it went well. Um, I'm, I'm 85 in four years and the transition was great. I loved being a wrench turner. I was the one who questioned everybody about their skills. I thought it was way more important to be technically and physically inclined in maintenance than it was anything else. So when I... <laughs> I was kind of a troublemaker in that respect. I, I didn't respect people who didn't know the job that they were leading. I was in the aviation intermediate maintenance department. So that's okay. where I was.
1: Cool. Nice to hear those stories. My transition, I guess you could say was a little different. I grew up turning wrenches with my dad, right? He had a shop out back. You know, we would build lawnmowers, take down lawnmower engines, rebuild them. My first car, my dad and I built from the tires up, okay, old uh what was it a 72 nova i believe it was rebuilt engine and everything so i had done a lot of that prior to the military right then when i went in the military served my time and i got out at the time my dad was doing all this stuff he was also working for goodyear tire and rubber company outside of fable north carolina not far from Fort bragg drew you probably know where that's at but uh, yeah he worked for goodyear tire and rubber company and i just followed in his footsteps you know my dad was a great man i wanted to follow those steps so you know, I started maintenance career, slash manufacturing career at a little small textile mill in Irwin, North Carolina, and then moved over the good years. So transition was a little better for me, but I still had work to do. I started school in 2011 at East Carolina University, and I was 52 years old when I crossed the stage in 2019. So the transition was a little smooth, but I still had work to gain the uh, notoriety I needed for my career. But wouldn't change anything about it. <laughs> All right, so next question. How did your previous training qualify you or prepare you for the work that you do today? What do you got, Drew? All right, so one of the things we
2: had, (laughs) my job was a targeting system that integrated laser with a boresight collimator into thermal imaging camera. It was grayscale. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You know, we didn't really care, you know, what's the temperature of that T-72 tank we're training on? Pretty much one of those situations where we weren't able to really do anything that was quantitative. So my transition into the fire service actually helped me a little bit more because now I had to think about building envelope and is that transmission line that's touching that tree, is it still hot? How can we use the IR camera to determine what's going on? Is that line that's down on a car, is that still hot or energized? So being able to use the infrared camera from my days in the military was actually spurred by this magazine from 1981, which got me thrilled with the ability of infrared. And that's why I was so excited when I had the opportunity to come down to Florida and start my own thing, and Iris brought me in. It was, now I could take my love for ultrasound and my love for infrared and marry the two of them together for electrical inspection, which is what, you know, I've kind of specialized the last several years in. That's really how my little bit of training on infrared has been expanded into something more sustainable, and it's more critical to use now than ever. For everything from building envelopes, steam trap to motor bearings to electrical systems, so it's just I'm fascinated by always the things we can find with ultrasound and with infrared. So that one little segment in the military usage is now grown into a lifelong career for me. Awesome, that is awesome. Love
1: hearing that. All right, Lucas, what you got, brother?
3: Well, um you know, I would say that. The biggest strength I think I could take away from my, my time there was the sacrifice, the, the hard work, the kind of awkward situations, the, the teaming, you know, all the stuff that comes along with working, engineering rates, uh, technical rates in the military, deployed overseas or you know 400 miles offshore. You, you carry all that with you when you leave, but you also carry this breadth of experience. Everything from when you're just starting out and you don't know a, a damn thing about anything you know what that feels like in a way that some people don't because being thrown into some of those worlds, like walking into a brand new ship as a 19 year old kid, it's unreal how much you don't know. Um, So you get humbled real quick. And I think that that really helped me post-military because you can be that sponge, that learner and not walk in with, you know, I've already got this kind of mentality, even though you're confident in what you can do. The other thing was E1 up to 04 by the time I retired, I had this experience across the spectrum of an organization. And so I knew what everyone was going to need around me when I stepped out of the military from the people lowest in the organization to the people highest in the organization. And I knew how to serve each of those people and help each of those people. And and I understood their perspective and and what was driving their world. And so I think that, you know, walking out of the service and then going into consulting work and advisory work and training and being leaned on as a kind of a subject matter expert in certain things, you're very well prepared to navigate all of those different groups of people, those different topics, those different channels, just based off of that experience you've had. So that's been tremendously beneficial. Not to mention that, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you guys will agree with this, they shake your world up every two to three years. You get used to change. It's part of your
1: environment. Yeah. Um,
3: so you, yeah. you tend to be yeah. pretty, pretty good with
1: change. Totally agree, man. Good reflection, Lucas. Brian, what do you have, buddy? So mine's
4: pretty similar to Lucas's. I, I would say change is huge above all my ability to work with others in the face of change. And, you know, like you, Lucas, I was a young guy and, and I'm surrounded by other young guys who had never been away from their families mm-hmm. before. And you get flight deck qualified and now you're running around just begging to get killed you know, navigating that space while trying to be a, an individual contributor, a team contributor, it really puts a lot of things into perspective. So change, change was a huge one. I take great pride in myself and helping others really understand change and then the other one was ambiguity there's so much unknowns there's so much mixed information you have your own feelings and thoughts and you have them but ultimately you can't act on them you're being told and you have to do the things that you're instructed and required to do so it really forces you or forced me to look at myself and the way that I conduct myself, and you know how do others view me, and that's kind of like the long term things that I took away from it. But I, but I will be lying, you know, when I first I was an individual contributor. I wanted to be better than everybody else. I wanted to show everybody that I was the best, and I knew more than this person. And you know that was me. I was that guy, and I quickly learned that I can be that guy, but not that guy at the same time. That's probably the biggest those biggest things: change, ambiguity, and being able to really look at yourself reflectively and, and conduct yourself in a way in which is beneficial to all and not just for one.
1: I agree with Brian and Lucas on this one. I mean, uh, learning to work in a team environment. Okay. First and foremost, being able to imp- improvise on the fly, you know, with those different variables that you mentioned, Brian. So mm-hmm. the things that pop up, right. That you have to improvise to navigate discipline. You know, I love the discipline the military taught me and the time management aspect, controlling things on your own. So taking ownership. This is stuff we learned in uh, basic training, right? So, I mean, you know, basic training is what it is, but it was really great for me, you know, because that turned me into a different person. From that day, I got off that bus and the drill sergeants were screaming at us. That changed me from that day forward, so it just, I just feel like it made me a better person or a better professional. You know what I mean? All right, next question, here we go. This is uh, the two part here. What advice would you guys give those that are currently transitioning into a maintenance and reliability career, okay? What would you like for those who are transitioning from service into the workforce to know?
2: My time after the service, the Navy guys and the Navy still are very much at the top level of maintenance so you know i agree if you're watching this right now and you're thinking about going in go navy all right that's the only time i remember to say that december 11th i won't be saying that i'll be saying go army uh but the navy is the most organized and the most efficient at maintenance protocols and procedures so having that emulation if you can come out of the the military career and get into that mindset with the the Navy nuke guys, they're they are always at the head of the class. They're always the first ones to get the job at the power station. That credibility of being a maintenance personnel coming out of the military, a lot of times, especially with the Navy program, puts people at the top of the list. And that should be a, a benefit that if you're coming out of the Navy, you should use it to your advantage. And I would definitely say, you know, as far as transitioning to the workforce, you've already shown your country that you will do what is needed. And I. Brian's kind of said that Lucas kind of said that Gary said that we're used to being a team that gets the job done. So we're a little bit more easygoing. I think when it comes to being able to get tasks done that other people that don't have that experience that we've had for deployed or, you know, in the rear or wherever, where you're constantly working hard hours, long hours, I think there's a little bit more dedication out of us because we know the greater good is getting that task done. So that would be my two answers for that these two questions
1: great response Drew. great response okay Lucas throw it at us buddy
3: <laughs> yeah so I don't know I think it's funny because coming from like the seagoing services side of it where like Drew said that the focus on maintenance is pretty uh strict and it's pretty comprehensive and you're very well suited to step into an RCM role with uh, a little bit of formal training or a little bit of um non-military training to help you get acclimated to the way the civilian sector is going to look at these things. So don't be afraid to invest a little bit in some of the great references that are out there to help you get, basically get your head in the right space, because you're not going to be working in that military space. And don't set your expectations that, you know, when you leave, you're going to go into a similar situation. It's not going to be a similar situation. You should actually be embracing the opportunity for something different. I think most of the people that transition well have kind of got that mentality before they transition, like, hey, I'm looking for something that's going to be different, that's going to be something I'm I'm familiar with, but I'm not an expert at yet. Um, And it doesn't matter if you're an E4 or an E7 or a W3 when you're leaving, whatever the case is, you're not uh, yet fully acclimated to that world of work. And you have to be open and flexible and willing to sacrifice a little bit. Uh, you know, I a bunch of my friends that are Master Chiefs always have fun with this. They're like, hey, man, you're not going to be called Master Chief when you walk into work on Monday. They're going to call <laughs> you Luke, and that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, no one's, no one's bringing you coffee, Cap. And, you know, it's like that that stuff's yeah. not happening. So I think, you know, one of the big things is just embrace the opportunity. Don't fear it and really look forward to that for that opportunity to, to do something different, to shake it up. But also don't forget... You know, maybe why you're leaving. People leave for different reasons, but for me, it was I wanted to be at home more. You know, being deployed 200 plus days a year for nine years, it was it was time to spend some time with the kids. Stop moving around. Get a job and stay somewhere for more than two or three years. It's okay. You can do those things, and it's yeah. good. So, yeah.
1: yeah. All right. Good response. Great response. Run. how about you, Betty?
4: Uh, I would say, the transition s- starts. For me, at least it started a year before I got out of the Navy. It's not something where you go, oh, um, I got my orders to go home in 10 days. Let me start thinking about a job. I started a year out. I also, and I I encourage others. I know people who are currently serving and I encourage them as well as like, take advantage of everything. Take advantage of it. Don't be the guy who goes to work and he's like, F this, I hate this, and goes and sleeps in your rack, you know take advantage of every opportunity you have. I mean, I got black, not black, I got, you know, lean certified in the Navy. They called it airspeed. It was different, right? I got quality assurance inspect. They will do anything that you just got to want to do it. And I knew that having those credentials or extra training or things, they were things that would be able to be applied to another function that may not be in the military. If I say that I'm a quality assurance inspector for static frequency converters for aircraft, it's likely that someone's going to say, well, that's that's very similar to INE, e or that's very similar to power generation or something. You know, So take advantage of all those things. Start your transitioning process before it's time to transition. And I would also say I thought this. I thought that – well, originally I thought this until I started digging into the way I thought, right? I thought, oh, well, I'm in the military. If I try to get a job outside the military, all the stuff I know or the acronyms, the – the the documents, all these things, no one's gonna know what that no one's gonna know what the NAMP is. If I reference the NAMP, they're gonna go, we don't, we don't, we don't care, dude. That that's not what we do. Don't let, don't get gun shy by that. And just know that there are resources. I could not find the website before we got on here, but I remember being given a website when I got out of the Navy that showed you could type in a job and it would show what jobs correlate to that outside of the military. And I looked at all those jobs. I mean I didn't end up at one but I Look, you know, I started that job process early. I started applying to jobs when I lived in Japan. And fortunately, Caterpillar hired me before I even left the Navy. So they waited. And I, when I came home, I was home, I, you know, for a little bit without the job. And then I went and got worked for Caterpillar. So start to transition early. Take advantage of everything. If you think, it, don't think this stuff doesn't matter. It does matter. And then start your job search before you get home. You don't want to get home and you're asked out. Plus, you're more likely to get bumped to the front of the line as a transitioning military veteran than you are if a veteran of like 15 years and you're just like, hey, I'm a veteran. They're like, all right, well, everybody's a veteran. So that's my thought on it.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more with you, Brian. The the military thrives on training. I mean, I remember, I remember even back in the mid 80s when I was in, you know, they, they would, uh, hey, you want to go to Rafael school? You want to go to, you know, Sears school? Do you want to go to this school, that school? So, and man, I jumped on everyone I could, right? What else so do you have when to do? I, uh, yeah. Uh, you you had nothing else to do, right? <laughs> I was on a ship nine
4: months out of the year, working 18 hours a day. What else was I going to do?
1: <laughs> exactly. So get that training while you're in. And like Brian said, go through that transition prior to ETS and out of the military. Get that career going when Uncle Sam's going to give you a little push coming out. So. Um, awesome response there, Brian. Lucas, all you guys are great with your responses.
0: Awesome. And thank you so much, Gary, and all of our panelists. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's episode of the Maintenance Mavericks podcast. My name is Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm super active there. You can also find me in the Maintenance Community Slack group. Feel free to follow up with any questions from today's episode or also suggest any future topics. You can sign up at upkeep.org. I hope to connect with all of you soon. Until next time, thanks again, everyone.